Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning. Children, you are dismissed for Children's Church. You have a really mean and strict teacher today. Oh, I just said that before she walked out the door. That's my wife, but um, have a great time. Uh, we're going to pray for Lisa and for the kids here in just a moment. I want to just... Uh, welcome you. Thank you for joining us today as we worship a great God. And it is our prayer that you would be magnified today. Um, the flowers behind me are from yesterday uh, as we celebrated the life of John Albright. Uh, John was a longtime and faithful member here at West Hill, served for many, many years as a trustee and uh, is now home in glory, uh, lived to be 96 it was in his genes, I found out. His dad lived to be 91, his mother lived to be 95, and he outdid them both and lived to be 96. And um, there are days that I think about that in my life, and we'll talk about that another time. We can have that discussion. But John lived faithfully, and he loved the Lord, and uh, served faithfully, served our nation uh, in the Army. And uh, for those of you who are here today who have served, we want to thank you. Thank you for giving of your time and your life um, so that we can enjoy the freedoms like we have here today. Um, Daniel chapter 3, we're going to dig in there in just a moment. I would like to pray um, this morning. And uh, as I pray, I will be um, thanking the Lord for John and for his life. Um, but I also will be thanking the Lord for his movement and our country um, I did not mention this last week, and, and I meant to do that in my prayer, and I didn't write it down. Um, it shows you where I am age-wise. If I don't write things down, it goes. Um, but I do want to praise the Lord um, publicly for God's movement. I, I do believe scripturally it is not a political issue. I believe that life is a biblical issue and that each man and woman is born and as they are created in the image of of the maker, the one true and living God. Every life is significant. And so I want to praise God for that, but also pray for safety for those who continue to serve. Um, we have several um, who serve in our pregnancy solutions uh, office and work out of that. And I want to pray for their safety as they continue to serve. And uh, I encourage you to continue to pray for your role that God may have you play as we continue to see how we can minister to a world um, who needs to see that life is valuable and needs to see the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. I also will pray because later today, again, I, I rarely do this, but I believe we need to pray today. Um, later today, there will be a big meeting in downtown Akron. And if you haven't caught it, maybe you can read up on it. And we need to pray for our officials and for our leaders and for our, 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 our city. Um, and so um, I want to do that now. So would you pray with me? Would you bow with me? Lord, we come humbly before your throne. Lord, thanking you for the great privilege of approaching you. We can come boldly asking and requesting, even confessing humbly because you are a good and gracious God who knows all and sees all, 
There is not one thing that surprises you or that catches you off guard. You are sovereign. You are in control of all things. And so to you, Lord, this morning we come thanking you for the life of John Albright, for the way that he lived his life faithfully, for his love for you, his love for his family, for his friends, and for his country. May we display some of that same character that John lived out. The way he graciously greeted people, his warm smile, his love. Lord, we thank you for your work in our country. Lord, I pray that you would please forgive us for the way that we have devalued life. Forgive us of our sins. We have sinned greatly against you. I thank you for the movement that you have done in the courts last week. And I thank you for the value that our justices see in life. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would continue to help help the eyes of our people and our nation to move past whatever freedom or whatever rights we think are ours. And we may put first and foremost the priority that every man, woman, and child, whether that child is out of the womb or in the womb, that everyone has great value. We pray for protection for those who continue to serve and to minister in our pregnancy services. We thank you for Pregnancy Solutions right here in Akron. I thank you for Emily and Dina, for others who continue to serve through that office, for Dr. Ken. Lord, we thank you for the way that that you have provided your workers, and we pray that you would continue to keep a hedge of protection around them, that they may continue to show life through the ultrasounds and through discussions and conversations. But as they share that, that they may also show the life of Jesus Christ and what he offers to each mother and father as they come in. May you draw more and more to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning, this morning, Lord, I ask for our city. Come pleading and begging, Lord, that you would do a work even this day. That you would provide peace. That you would give understanding that your mercy and your grace would be shown and seen. I pray for the leaders of our city, that you would give them wisdom, transparency, and clarity. I thank you for those who serve our city as officers who have pledged to keep our city safe. I pray for your protection for them and their families. 
And Lord, as we have already stated, we believe that the Bible states clearly that every life has great value. And so as the family continues to mourn today in the loss of their son, may you minister to them. And in their grief, may they seek you. And may you provide for them a great peace. And even though there may not be understanding, may you guide them and direct them. And may they tell of your goodness and proclaim the message of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that as we open it here this morning, that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds. My prayer, Lord, this morning is that as we leave here, we would be changed and different than when we've entered. And that's because we've met with you, the true and living God. So do your work in us, Lord. We humbly come before you asking for your blessing in this way. We acknowledge without your work in our lives, we would be lost. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sin. And we thank you for the relationship that you give us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 3, if you have your Bible and you would turn there, please, and follow along, that would be wonderful. It'll also be up on the screen, but I encourage you to have your own text in front of you. And uh, I heard the comment I knew as soon as I did it last week. Um, I said, hey, why don't we stand when we read the Word of God together and um, a few of you mentioned and said, why did he pick the largest chapter for us to stand? Well, because I didn't want you to fall asleep in the middle of it. But I'm going to ask you if you would again. It's not as long this week. It's only 30 verses. Would you stand with me as we read God's word in Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before that, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sounds of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. 
And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered. And they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And then he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? Then he answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, and the prefects, and the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, all people, nations, language, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You may be seated. What is easily um, a very well-known children's story, right? 
Uh, it's a well-known VBS, children, children's church. It's a story that if you grew up in the church, you grew up hearing about these three men and how they were thrown into a fire and how God had delivered them. I want to dig in a little deeper. And yet at the same time, I think the principles still apply, whether we're a child or whether we're well-seasoned. When we look at this, King Nebuchadnezzar, this chapter starts, Daniel, I believe, helps us uh, very early in this. In the Hebrew, when you read Hebrew, Hebrew reads from right to left. And so when you look and you read Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, all right, I'm far from that. I barely pass Greek, let alone dive into Hebrew. Um, but when you're reading Hebrew, reading from right to left, um, the way the construction for most of the time that we see here in chapter 3, it, in our English standard version, it says King Nebuchadnezzar. In the Hebrew, as it reads, it will say Nebuchadnezzar the king, right from left. And so I just point that out, and you, it's a title, and so I don't think the English standard version is wrong. Um, those of you who have KJV are going to jump all over this and say, see, ours is right, because I believe in the KJV it says um, Nebuchadnezzar the king. I do believe either way gets the point across, but here's my point as we walk through this. Daniel will help us to see all throughout this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is called the king. And you say, well, yeah, we know that. Duh. No, no, no. Notice as we walk through the text how many times Daniel references Nebuchadnezzar the king. He's making that point just like we saw in chapter 1 and even in chapter 2. Who is the king? There is going to be uh, a wrestling that takes place. He's foreshadowing what is to come. Now we read the whole chapter and so we see it. But especially early on in the first seven verses, we see this phrase used several times, and it foreshadows um, a, a, a competition of sorts versus the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and who is God? Is he king? Is he over King Nebuchadnezzar? Um, so we see that very early. King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold. This probably takes place at least 16 or 17 years after chapter 2. All right, Some scholars have said it's 20, 23 years. Um, you have to figure out where you land, okay? I, I like the 16, 17 years because roughly that is the time period where, where Nebuchadnezzar has gone back to Jerusalem. And now he has totally destroyed Jerusalem. Jerusalem no longer stands. All right. And so in that way, you see Nebuchadnezzar. And while he has had this dream some 16 years earlier, um, that, that showed him as the head made out of gold, right, of the statue in his dream. 16 years later, here he is, and he has defeated the people of the God who showed him this dream. And so you think about the, the kind of arrogance and the kind of pride that is welling up in King Nebuchadnezzar as he has now just demolished Jerusalem. And so he comes out of this and he says, you know what? I'm going to make this image. 
and I'm going to make people worship it. Because you know what? That God, the God of the Jews, I defeated them. Which means, in his mind, he's thinking he's greater than them because their God did not deliver them. Now, we know from the Bible that God allowed the Jews to be destroyed, even though there's still a remnant continuing. God allowed them to be destroyed because they continued to worship false gods. They continued to break the commands of God and not worship him and not place him as their God. He wanted to, Israel to be distinct. For the Jews, his people, to be set apart from all the other people. And yet they continued time and time again where they would wrestle and where they would infringe upon the, the, the world and other cultures and other nations. And they would intermarry. And so they looked no different than all the other people. It kind of sounds like our world today, does it not? For Christians. God has called us as Christ followers, as ambassadors of his. We are his ambassadors to be holy as he is holy. That word holy means to be distinct, to be set apart from everyone else. So that we wear long skirts and we wear suits and ties. No, that's not how we are to be set apart. Thank you for wearing appropriate dress today. I didn't see anybody in here walking in in their only their underwear, which is good. All right? We are to be appropriately outward adorned, but it isn't about an outward adorning. It is what is taking place on the inward adorning, and that is shown in how we act and how we live and how we dress. We see here Nebuchadnezzar and his great pride has defeated the God of Israel, he thinks. And so he sets up this great image. Some scholars have, have uh, said that the, 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 the parameters of this idol, of this image, seems out of whack. Because it's 90 feet by 9 foot. And so it's very narrow and it's very tall. And so, again, as you do your research and you do your study, I hope that you're doing that. And uh, you'll find that there may have been a base that this image was set upon. And so maybe in the full calculation of 90 feet, it had also included it in, it, in its base. I don't think it's that important. I think we need to make sure that we're careful we don't get hung up in the weeds here. The truth is, I think Nebuchadnezzar has made an image of gold because he has seen in a dream that he is the head the golden image. And so this image that he makes, he wanted all to see it. And so he goes out to the plain of Dura uh, instead of being in the province of Babylon. Because if he were to build this image in Babylon, it would have gotten lost amongst all the other buildings. Babylon was not just a city that was built with one or two stories. They had great, great buildings. They were advanced in their technologies. And so Nebuchadnezzar wants to go to a place where it makes it very clear. And so he goes out to the plain of Dura, a flat area, and he is going to build this image. And as he does, he gathers all of his leadership. All of his leaders go, except for who, right? Have you asked yourself this question? There's one person missing that we know of. Have you asked yourself, where's Daniel? Where's Daniel in this? We don't know where Daniel is. 
I do not believe Daniel is here. If Daniel were here, he would be with his three friends, not bowing down to the image. I believe that as King Nebuchadnezzar has gathered all of his leadership and they've gone out to the plain of Dura, I think, I believe personally that Daniel is still back in Babylon running the affairs of the city and of, of the rulership there. Remember where Daniel, where we left off 16 years ago, Daniel is really second in command. He's over in charge of all of this. So as King Nebuchadnezzar has gathered all of, all of his other leaders and gone out, somebody still has to run the, the country, the city of Babylon. And so I think, I believe that Daniel is there in the city. And so as we see here, verse two, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials. That phrase, those, those words will be used several times, which would have given the early readers an understanding that this is all of leadership. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to start not with all the common people, but he wanted to bring all those who were under him, who were doing his business, that would act on his behalf. He wanted them first to come in. He wanted them to be, quote, educated. He wanted them first to acknowledge this great image that he had built. And so then all the other peoples would then follow and worship the gods that King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped. So as all of these leaders came and gathered for the dedication of that image, notice again, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4, the herald proclaimed aloud. And so it's interesting to think about as these leaders are coming forward, there may have been other times when they were gathered to celebrate. To celebrate the, the rulership, the conquering, the, the, the joys of being part of the Babylonian people. And so in this, uh, it may not have been uncommon for them to gather, but there's something different about this time as they gather. This time the herald proclaims to them that you are commanded, O peoples, and nations, and languages. Meaning that Nebuchadnezzar had in his leadership realm... People from all different places, places that he had conquered. It showed his power. It showed what he had done. And so he commands them that when they hear the orchestra play, that they were to bow down. Again, we notice several times in our text that each instrument is listed. I do not believe this gives us a preference where we can now say, since this was used in this idolatry um, worship, that we should no longer use uh, these instruments. I think that's a false reading of the text because I think we see some of these same instruments used in the Psalms and David will reference them. And so as we look at this, it helps us to remember that what is good may also be used for evil. And this orchestra was brought forth to bring glory to one man. And his name was not Jesus, and his name was not Lord. It was the king. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship when the orchestra starts was to be cast into a fiery furnace. I believe that fiery furnace was there as part of the making of this great image. 
And so as they had this fiery furnace, I don't think it would have been uncommon for the people to have seen as they've made bricks and, and needed it for the other things as they've made this image because they're out in the middle of the plains. As they see this fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar uses it as a threat. It's a real image that people can see right before them. As the herald proclaims, hey, if you don't bow down and worship, then you will be thrown into that fiery furnace over there. So the people can see that. And as they see that, it says, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, verse 7, and the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, what's interesting here is why does it say that? Why does the text say all? It should have said all but three. Well, I think this helps us to see this is such a vast number of people that it appears that all people have bowed down when the music started, which helps us to go into a little bit of insight. It gives us a little bit of insight of what takes place next. It says in verse 8, Now there, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. So while it may appear as all of these people, when the orchestra starts, they've bowed down and they're worshiping this image, there are three men who haven't. You may not have seen that standing up front. But the Chaldeans saw it. And actually, I believe the text, and not only here, but throughout the book of Daniel, we will see, I believe, there's a great jealousy of the Chaldeans against the Jews. And the Jews in their relationship with their God. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been given great authority over the provinces uh, of Babylon. So the Chaldeans are probably not happy with them. They jumped over them. Remember when they came from Jerusalem in chapter 1? They were young teens. And as Daniel comes and and shares the image of what he has seen, the dream, and he gives uh, a meaning to it, that not only is Daniel promoted, but that Daniel asks a favor of the king, and his three friends are promoted. And so the, I'm sure there was great jealousy there. Who are these young punks? And why are they in charge of me? And so we see they had their eye on these three men, because I believe they knew... They knew there was something different about these three. And this was going to test their faith in their God. And so they saw this and they came forward and they declared to the king, O king, live forever. Now what's interesting, and I don't think this is any disrespect, but we notice the, the greeting that the Chaldeans give the king versus the greeting of the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, the three friends don't say, O oh, king, live forever. No, they get right to the point. What we do see here, again, it shows us and reveals to us where the Chaldeans' heart was. They desired to please the king. They wanted their own benefit to promote themselves, I believe. They said, hey, you made this decree. 
And whoever does not fall down, they were to be cast in the burning fire furnace. And verse 12 tells us there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I don't think this is a slam against Nebuchadnezzar. I think they're trying to bring before his very eyes, hey, king, you need to know there's these three men, certain Jews that you appointed in your service for your kingdom. And what, is, what do they say? They say this, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. Is that true? I don't think that's true. I think that's a false accusation, that first one. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continued to do the work that the king had for them. It wasn't that they were disregarding what the king wanted them to do. But they were willing to stand the ground and to say no more. And at this point, they make their, their reason known. They say, they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, that's the problem. And they make it known. Nebuchadnezzar responds in a calm demeanor, right? No, this shows the kind of character that the king has and where he is at this stage of his life. In furious rage, furious rage, he commands the three to come before him. And so they are brought before him. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, hey, is it true? Could it be true that you are not going to listen to this command to worship and serve my gods, to worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, he says, verse 15, if you are ready, when you hear the orchestra play, just fall down and worship the image that I have made and all will be well and good. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second opportunity, a second chance. But in this, what do they do? How do they respond? The king makes it known, though, before they respond. If you do not worship, you will sh shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And a key phrase who reveals that reveals the true heart of the king. He says this. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What an arrogant and proud statement. Now, before we throw Nebuchadnezzar under the bus, I believe that we need to pause and look and evaluate our own lives. I believe that sometimes we go the same route. When things don't turn out our way and when we want life situations or circumstances, we want to dictate how they go. Maybe you haven't gone to this extreme but I believe it's very easy for each of us to say easily within our heart, God, I don't deserve this. Don't you know who I am? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, and as I mentioned already, they don't say in their greeting, O king, live forever. They know he won't live forever. 
And I don't think they're trying to be rude. They just want to get to the point. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. And notice that they didn't say king, even though Daniel writes for it. They said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Meaning, we're not scared to talk about this. We're not fearful to address the situation. We're not hiding in the shadows. Verse 17, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So direct opposition of what the king just said. Who, whose God will deliver you out of my hand? And they're saying, our God will deliver us out of your hand. Very pointed. It's not about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not about their faith. It's about their God. Because they respond and they say, but if not, verse 18, if God does not deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We're not going to do it. That's where we draw the line in the sand. We're here to serve you, but we will not worship your gods, nor will we worship this image. Nebuchadnezzar then gave them a third chance, right? No, that's not what the text says. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And Daniel records for us that the expression of his face was changed. And while Daniel probably wasn't here, he gets the firsthand account from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe they're the ones who have uh, shared this story with Daniel. And so as Daniel is recording it, they probably say, hey, you should have saw the king's face when we said that. He was so ticked off. He was so mad. And so he ordered the furnace heated seven times more. I don't want to get into a lot of numbers here. It is interesting. Some scholars, as I was reading, uh, look at the image and the six uh, cubits. Um, is, six is the number of man. And seven is the number of God. Again, it's just an interesting thought, an interesting concept. You do your study and you dig in. It is interesting here, again, when you think about the king and who he's trying to say that he is, seven times hotter. Uh, interesting, again, is he acknowledging or trying to say, hey, look, I'm God. I think our text tells us he thinks he's pretty high and mighty. Seven times hotter, he ordered some of his mighty men. So he didn't just want Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just to, you know, hey, you leaders, the, the Chaldeans, you take them over there. No, we're going to make sure that they don't flee or run away. So we're going to bind them, and we're going to throw them in the furnace. Well, it was so hot that these guards, these mighty men, were, all, were, were killed as they took these three men of God to the fiery furnace, they were killed. And so these men were bound, verse 21, were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's urgent or order was so urgent, the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, 
was astonished. This is the last time that we see this phrase, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Because I believe there's something that will drastically change the king from this point moving forward. He was astonished. He rose up in haste and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sons of God, like a son of God's. Interesting as we think here, number one, when we think about the stories of the Bible, do you believe they are true? Do you believe that this miracle took place? Unfortunately, people today, and they have done for quite some time, they explain away the miracles of God. And they want to change the language to make, it, make us believe that it says something that it doesn't say. For example, when Jesus walked on water, maybe he just walked close to the shore. Or when Jesus healed the little girl, she was just asleep. No, I believe that we can take the Bible as the truth. And I don't think we should ever explain away the miracles of our great God. Why would we diminish his great power? So if the text tells us that they were bound and were thrown into the fire, stumbling and falling, the word says that they fell into, as they get up, I can just imagine what a miracle as their bounds are lifted, burnt away, but not singeing them. What a miracle that was. And as they're in this fiery furnace, as they're walking around, there is a fourth one with them. I believe this is the incarnate Jesus Christ. Could have been an angel. I believe it's Jesus. What's interesting, and I had never noticed this before, those guys just stay in there. I wonder how long they were in there for. It's interesting, as they walk around, they're in there long enough that King Nebuchadnezzar not only sees that there are four of them, but even the text tells us that they, he sees them walking. So it's not like they just show up in there and he's like, whoa, wait, there's a fourth, get out of here. No, those three men are in there in the presence of, I believe, the incarnate Jesus Christ and enjoying his presence. The flames aren't bothering them. There's nothing that's touching them. How beautiful a picture it is. Those men didn't leave until they were commanded to leave. They were going to stay in there with Jesus as long as they could. That's my belief. What an awesome picture. That there is nothing that this world has to offer that is sweeter than being in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you believe that. I hope you've experienced that and I hope you know that. What a picture. While the king came near to the door, he declared to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, notice what Daniel records for us. And again, I believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego relayed this to Daniel for us to record. Very descriptive in what Nebuchadnezzar is going to say. And we're going to see this phrase over and over again in the next chapter, in chapter 4. 
Nebuchadnezzar declares, he yells into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. There's an acknowledgement from this point on in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He has now seen the Most High God. Last week I told you I believe that Nebuchadnezzar, after he had been revealed the dream and the, the knowledge of the dream, that he placed the God of the heavens along with his other gods. Here I believe there's a transformation that has truly hit his heart. And we'll read more of it in the next chapter. He acknowledges that these three men, their God that they serve is the most high God. He commands them to come out and they come out. And then all of the leadership, they look at him, the king's counselors gathered and they saw that the fire had no power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and there was no smell of fire that had come upon them. Amazing. I don't know if you remember going back to the bowling alleys back in the day. I remember as a kid, we went to the bowling alleys and I would make sure that I left my jacket in the car um, because when I came back out, I didn't, I wanted it to not smell like the bowling alley. That was the bowling alley. Some of you know, you're shaking your head, you're smiling, you know. These men walked in the midst of a fiery furnace and they didn't smell a lick like the fire. That's awesome. Only the power of of God could do that. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said to them, and again, I think this is interesting as we look at this. Uh, how did, uh, why does the text say that he answered? Who's he answering? There wasn't a question that the three said. There wasn't a statement that they even proclaimed that Daniel shares here. No, I believe he's answering in response of what he has just been illumined to not only the three and the the one who is like the son of the gods and is acknowledging that but as they come out acknowledging and seeing and so in response this is how he is answering he says this blessed be the god of shadrach meshach and abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, all people, nations, language that speak anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their house is laid in ruins, for there is no god who is able to rescue this way. We see it just like we saw in chapter 2. There is no God who dwells among man who is able to reveal these things to the king. Nebuchadnezzar realizes there is no other God who can deliver like this. So how does this look in our life? I purposed in my heart that I wouldn't go as long as I did last week. And I know some of you, you're great with that and you're fine. I want to be sensitive to your time. So I won't look at all the texts here this morning. 
there are two things that I want to put before us as we read this and how we live out our lives as followers of Jesus today. Number one is this, that we are to worship and serve only the king. We are to worship and to serve only the king. The text before you, you can write them down. Again, I won't take the time to read through them. But Paul writes, Dr. Luke writes, and then we even see John write several times in the book of Revelation, the title of Jesus, he is the king. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is over all. When Jesus returns on his hem will be written his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no one that we should worship, nothing that should take the place of Jesus as the one who we worship and the one who we serve. How does that look in your life? What are you pursuing? We see in the Gospels, Jesus warns, man cannot serve both Mammon and God, money and God. There is only one true living God. And while money may give you happiness for a brief season, it will not provide what only God can provide you. A relationship with the opposite sex will not provide you everything that you need like a relationship with God will provide. If you serve and follow him. If you worship and serve the king, I promise you, I promise you, you will experience life like you never have before. If you are doing that now, you know what I'm talking about. The peace, the comfort, the joy that overwhelms you as you walk with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego purposed in their hearts, just like we see in chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile his body with the king's food. They purposed in their heart they were not going to worship any other false gods. Check your heart. Check your schedule. Check your bank account. You'll start to see what you serve. And who you serve. The second is this. First is to live or to worship and to serve the only king. Uh, only the king. The second is this. To live trusting the king. The psalmist helps us to see this in Psalm 56. We see it in Psalm 118 verse 6. And Hebrews 13 6 quotes the psalm. Then we read in Revelation what the end time will look like. The beauty of following Jesus is not that we see every step of the way. The beauty of following Jesus and trusting him is that he is worthy to be trusted because he's given us enough to strengthen our faith. He's given us enough of his word that we can acknowledge and see that what he says is not only true, but is always what's best for me. Do you trust him? It's easy for me to say that, and I'm sure it is for you. Daniel, or we see it in Daniel, but we see it in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And they even state it. Even if our God chooses not to deliver us from this fire, we will still not bow down. Will you take that stand? Is there a line in the sand where you're willing to say, no, these are the convictions. These are the truths of God's word that I believe I need to live. And I will not abandon those. Trusting the king. See, I put Revelation 21, that whole chapter, and I hope that sometime today or tomorrow that you'll read it. Because it gives us a picture of what's to come. It helps us with perspective, even in the midst of chaos, in a chaotic world, in a world that seems to be abandoning God more and more, that we seem to be more and more the minority of what it means to follow and trust Jesus, that there is an end. There is a conquering of sin and death. There is a kingdom that is real and it is coming and that we can trust that we are going to be part of that. So whatever this short little time that we have, if we're thrown into a fire and we, and God were to choose that we were to die physically in that place, Paul says absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Is there a more joyous a thing than what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced as they were in the furnace walking with Jesus? So if God were to choose to take us home, is there anything more glorious? The answer is, do you believe that? Is it worth trusting the king? The king that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. See, the title today is Deliverance by the King. Nebuchadnezzar was an earthly king and his power was limited, even though he was great. The heavenly king, the king that we will read and see who will deliver not only the Jews, but to the Gentiles brings salvation. His name is Jesus, and he offers us eternal life. And he offers to lead you and to guide you. And he is worthy to be trusted today and tomorrow and the next day, no matter what takes place in your life, no matter who may abandon you, no matter how alone you may feel, Jesus the king is there. Don't forget that this week. Will you worship and serve only him? And will you, as you live, continue to trust him? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thanks for the opportunity that you've given us to dig in. Lord, sometimes we know that you are able to do things. And yet we waver in our faith. <laughs> it's the, like the great centurion who asked Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus asked, do you believe? And he said, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, that's me. And I believe there's a lot who sit here today that while we believe, Lord, there is a part of our hearts and our mind where we struggle continuing to trust you. And so in those moments, as we encounter those today and the days ahead, Lord, 
may we remember the beautiful relationship that, that we see here in Daniel 3 of how you care for those who love you, how you protect them. And even if you would have chosen not to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this case, you still would have had a purpose and a plan. You still would have been glorified because of their faith and trust in you. But you wanted to show the king who the true king was. Thank you, Lord, that you are the great deliverer and you've delivered us from our sins and that we can have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Help us to worship you. Help us to trust you. You are worthy and you are able. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.